0: Welcome back, everyone. As always, this episode of How I Got This is brought to the Cathcart Associates and um, technology recruitment experts. Headquartered in Edinburgh, uh, but with a global reach, um, which sounds incredibly grand, uh, but we actually have an office in Bangkok. We've recently ventured into Helsinki um, and our assistant company recruit across Europe, so we actually do recruit globally. So today on the podcast, I've got not one, but two guests. If the first time ever, we two people, and it actually works really well. Um, so we have uh, Miracle. Bernadoni and Michael Seddon, who are the two founders of Fumi, who they've worked together for a number of years and they decided to set up this um, kind of boutique AI consultancy um, from their base in London. Um, so the guys had a, a pretty clear vision for what they thought that should look like, um, so they left really kind of good, exciting, stable role in a massive law firm in London uh, to go out on their own, um, which is quite the best of times, um, uh, given the fact that a couple of weeks into their new venture, COVID-19 hit the world, it's been an interesting, interesting time for them, but you'll hear on the podcast, they're kind of cracking on with it uh, and making the best of what is a pretty strange um, situation to be in, so um, yeah, please, please welcome Michael to Michael the Podcast. Welcome to the podcast Mirko and Michael. Uh, Thanks for joining me. Hi Liam. Hi. So first time we've had two people on the podcast so we'll see how it goes but I'm sure it'll be fun. So if everyone that listens already we always kind of just skirt around the topic of education or if someone didn't go to university why they maybe did that. So I think I'm right in saying Mirko you've got a kind of computer science background when you lived in Italy right?
1: Yes Liam that's correct. Uh, I studied in Italy worked there 10 years after the study. As a background, uh, I'm a computer scientist. Uh, At that time, there was no bachelor or master. It was just one lump sum (laughs) after the study. (laughs) It was a a long journey, like five years in Wangu, and technically speaking, I'm a doctor in computer science.
0: Nice. And we always talk about education at the start, just because we've not really found too many people that come from exactly the same background. Interestingly, Michael, yours is kind of relatively similar, given that you did a software engineering degree, but I think in Australia, is that right?
2: Yeah, that's right. I am, unfortunately, Australian. Um, But differently from Merco, my degree was the first of its kind to be trialed where it was actually removing all of the mathematics relating to engineering. So it's just purely focused on the software engineering part. Um, The university trialed it, um, and it was a remarkable success. Uh, So I come from probably the flip side of the coin from Merco in terms of I'm more of the engineering side, and he's more of the science or computer science side. So Oh, nice. How many you said, unfortunately, Australian? Uh, <laughs> and, uh, because I've been having the same conversation for over a decade now, is everybody says, oh, we didn't realise you're Australian. You don't sound like that. Now I hear it. And so that, that's basically to summarise 10 years of being in England with that kind of um, same conversation.
0: <laughs> yeah and, and then kind of we, we look at kind of where people normally go uh, after that university but did not, did either of you kind of know what was gonna be next kind of once you finished the, the degree did you know exactly what you wanted to do or was the first role kind of something you fell into um we'll, we'll start with Mirko.
1: Uh, For my side, uh, I knew it since in uh, the secondary school because I studied computer science at se- on the secondary school, too. <laughs> oh, <Uh-oh>, nice. <laughs> yeah, I was being focused uh, on this in computer science. Uh, uh, there was no data science or anything like that. But uh, let's say I started uh, since I was um, uh, 15, 16, more or less, uh, and I went through all the study, always on maths, computer science, maths, computer science. And after I started to work, um, uh, I think the first role was uh, something related to uh, system administration. The yeah. funny bit at uh, that time, my view, okay, oh, system administrators are uh, the most cool profession because you must know how to create uh, uh, Linux kernel drivers, for example. Uh, there's this new piece of hardware. Oh, why don't create uh, a new kind of driver in order to make it work uh, with its uh, requirements and stuff like that was well, some this is why I end up at the end of the day, I think one of, since one of the first second third role that I've got uh, to hit in um, uh, research uh, for building um, a rendering pharma in a startup at the time and after I was working there close to the industry research or for industry where in the research department.
0: Yeah, okay. Nice. Um, yeah, we were going to touch on that. So yeah, kind of starting as a sysadmin and then you've kind of had a various career of uh, setting up some of your own work in terms of running your own companies and then being kind of like a technical architect for big consultancies um, all across Europe. So uh, how did that all kind of, I don't know, how did that all kind of come about from your perspective how did you end up in the uk uh, and uh, any kind of particular highlights
1: oh, it's it was a long journey honestly because <laughs> i was looking at, <laughs> on something uh, challenging enough uh, <laughs> that is not so easy to find and uh, at the beginning I, I left when i left italy it was 2012 2011 i went in luxembourg then from luxembourg just speaking um, with some manager inside the, that company at that time, uh, there was a possible position uh, in European Medicine Agency in London that no one from that company was able to get it. I Say, like, why don't try? <laughs> I've got <forgot> that position. <laughs> oh, nice! This <laughs> how we got in London.
0: <laughs> and you've been there ever since.
1: Uh, 2012.
0: Nice. And it wasn't really so. I think this is right, kind of like 2015, roughly, your kind of first role is what you might call now as the head of data science, but were you always working kind of within data before that?
1: Yes. Uh, let's say I, I went through, like, uh, the SIS, Schengen Information System, that is data, is messaging system that is managing uh, all uh, the goods and the people that are moving uh, across the border in Europe. Yeah. You know. Land, homeland Security, essentially, and after European Medicine Agency, you go through the Pharmacovigilance program. That is one of the things that they build there, the adverse reaction system that is collecting um, all the adverse reaction across Europe, including UK, and then analyze on all type of data. Yeah, there was always um, it's never been like a clear, like you know, data analyst or role like that. It was always uh, someone that need to do some extra steps in order to make things um, uh, working for the business.
0: Yeah, okay. So like uh, building uh,
1: some complex application on top, uh, doing some additional layer of complexity on top of the data in order to be able to handle a huge amount or velocity that are needed.
0: Yeah, okay. Nice. Um, and just before we get into that rule in 2015, um, Michael, you kind of started your career with two pretty massive organizations in Australia, but did you always know kind of once you'd done the degree, kind of what kind of track you would take, or was it a little kind of little bit of work it out while you were going along?
2: Uh, in terms of the sort of data science and machine learning stuff, no. Um, But in terms of computers, I've always, that's what I've always done. Um, My mum loves telling a story of when I think I was sort of nine or 10 years old. Um, They took me to a bookstore and sort of like trotted around and then came out sort of holding this massive thick Java book that, you know, you can kill somebody (laughs) with. And I was like, can I have this? Can I have this? And they were really surprised and, you know, went home and read through it all in about a week and sort of just taught myself that because it was what I've, you know, it's not something I've ever thought about. It's just what has always been or what attracts me and so i always knew that i was going to be doing computers um but obviously since then things have changed so much but they haven't in a way it's quite interesting that you see all the best practices and the same patterns and everything that you were learning back then is still the same as what people are doing now they're just called a different thing and it's really quite interesting the sort of evolution of technology but everything in terms of Best practices kind of stays the same, like with using sort of front end programming, the concept of a state, you know, state diagrams and stuff that you learn in computer class in high school. All of this stuff, it's like being branded as this new reactive programming. And yet it's all of this stuff that people have been doing forever. Um, (laughs) But with the data and machine learning side of stuff, the real interest was when I met with Mirko and we started to work together was when things started to really focus itself in terms of that.
0: Yeah, okay, nice, because you worked kind of primarily as a Java developer before that. Yeah, uh,
2: and that was the same with sort of BP and IBM. They were internships, which were wonderful introductions to sort of like the corporate way of developing software. And yeah. it was very, very lucky to work on, you know, the big IBM mainframes and, you know, develop uh, testing suites for ZOS software and, you know, like really low-level stuff. And it was really fascinating and you got to work yeah. with some incredible people. Um, but it's just interesting how everything's evolved, really, and sort of the focus of what is in the industry these days.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. And then um, the move to the kind of UK, was, was that always on the cards as well?
2: I think I just wanted to get out of Australia, to be honest. Um, Perth is a beautiful place. Uh, it's just yeah. in the middle of nowhere. Um, <laughs> we, we, we literally like, have the distinction of being the most isolated city in the world. It takes longer from Perth to get to any other major city than it does in the world and I think the grass is always greener you want what you don't have and so my mum being English I had an easy access to the UK and so I just wanted to get out and London was a natural choice and now I'm here forever so
0: yeah (laughs) now you're literally locked down in London (laughs) Um, yeah no it's funny it's funny you should say that we did uh, I've I've been to Australia and we, we lived there for a year and like we were trying to plan things out and trying to get over to Perth like we just couldn't make sense of it from like everywhere else we were trying to see at the time and um, it just was that extra step too far to kind yeah, of justify about, it on the on the shoestring budget we had
2: well i mean so a, a lot of people don't understand the scale of it but you know it's literally sort of a seven hour flight from yeah. where i'm from to say sydney and in yeah. london you can get on a train and be in paris in three hours you know the, the scale of things <laughs> is just crazy
0: yeah no we did a lot of driving and you just there's a lot of driving for nothing in fact my wife reminded me the other day that we stopped in a small town for the night and we asked the guy where the nearest place to get beer was and he told us we was just in the next town um that was 70 kilometers away but we started driving so we didn't work this out until we were halfway there um so that was a, mm-hmm. a, f- a few hours just for a couple of beers
2: uh um, yeah. <laughs> well one of my odds one of my odd jobs um, at the time of going through university was to install like card printer software and like the card printers and mining and mining sites are big in Western Australia and so I was hired to go out and do this where I literally had to get on a plane they'd hired me a four-wheel drive to drive sort of the two hours once you landed and then sort of this six-hour round trip once I got there they didn't even have the computers for me to do it on and they're like can you (laughs) come back tomorrow and I was like well (laughs) no I can't really do that and this is just Within my state, yeah, it's 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 a big place.
0: Yeah, no, hundred percent. So yeah, London, although a massive city, must have felt a lot smaller for you, (laughs) just from getting around point of view. But yeah, you mentioned meeting uh, Mirko. I think you guys kind of crossed paths twenty sixteen or so, so like maybe four four and a bit years ago. And you said that was the first introduction to kind of machine learning or or kind of data science, what, what we might call it now. What What were you
2: guys doing there? Um, so, I'll, I'll let Mirko answer, but um, that was just to set the context. Mirko actually interviewed and hired me. So, oh, nice. that was, you know, it, it was the start of a good working relationship from there.
0: Nice. Yeah. So, Mirko, what, what was the, that was when your first role as head of data science. So, what, what did that involve? So,
1: at the time, um, we were working for Ixos. I don't think that they ex- still exist uh, because they get acquired by Copyright Essentials, is a bigger uh, company. And they yeah. um, were Alfresco um, partner, and they are they were essentially creating personalized version of Alfresco inside uh, the publishing industry. You know, publishing to get they were looking to get uh, digitalized, uh, and uh, they start to use better workflow based on Alfresco in order to handle all the different content that are coming um, out of that. You go from audio, video to books. Uh, uh, articles and so on but the company didn't have uh, any data analytics uh, type of um, sector alfresco was uh, poor at the time uh, in that area too and uh, as a company we spot that one as an uh, opportunity you know in order to to start to build something new and this is exactly uh, what i did there i started with uh, you know j- justify to everyone why you should uh, do data analytics uh, <laughs> how it might change uh, the revenue inside that company, what you get out of from that, uh, and gradually uh, end up uh, naturally landing uh, inside um, uh, what's, what you call it data science, or better, machine learning in that specific, uh, because this type of company we are dealing with uh, a lot of unstructured documents, mainly natural language processing, natural language understanding, um, graph analysis, uh, in order to uh, connect all these documents and, underst- and pick up uh, uh, specific information out of that. Uh, they get uh, um, acquired by copyright, copyright clearing center. That they are, uh, um, I don't know how to call it. I think it's more like um, uh, scientific paper brokers. Essentially, you have a publisher. Every publisher has a set of uh, journals usually, and uh, you have the scientific paper that is sitting inside the journals. And in order to access to this scientific paper in uh, pharma, in uh, medicine, uh, chemistry and so on, you have to pay a fee. Their job is, OK, we give you a subscription between multiple publishers. Then you have access to millions of uh, scientific articles and you pay a fixed fee. You know, Their business model works really well for many, many years as you can imagine <laughs> yeah but uh, again uh, they were lacking up that uh, data science piece uh, in order to start to offer more advanced uh, services uh, like for example identify uh, identify protein inside the scientific paper in order to track uh, why the covid uh, is uh, behaving in that specific way and this was just one of the many tasks uh, that uh, we did at that time
0: nice no it sounds good it sounds interesting i, I imagine setting something up from scratch was quite fun. Fun so was,
1: uh, was was fun, but uh, we get really uh, well backed up because Exos uh, uh, was a service company. Then as a service company, you always build new stuff for a new client. Okay. Then yeah. we had a really strong team uh, in the area, in all the different areas that uh, you need in order to build um, data science capability inside a company, and becomes. You know, a small step. It was a nice uh, first try for a data science lab, from my from my point of view. <laughs> <laughs> and with Michael was uh, you know was straightforward working together uh, and moving uh, forward inside that type of uh, environment. Uh, especially because we, we were really uh, well backed up uh, by all the teams that were around us.
0: Yeah, nice. Um, and then Michael, how was it for you, kind of? As maybe your kind of first foray into to data science, did, did it feel
2: just kind of like something you uh, kind of almost always wanted to do or, or enjoyed doing straight away? It was a very natural progression. Um, so it all started when Mirko um, volunteered to teach a few of the Ixis developers Scala, um, which is obviously something that people have messed around with, but in sort of a really focused you know, university course-esque kind of way. It was, you know, spending three weeks of intense, really, really learning this language to then being applied um, to these literal use cases. It was sort of a wonderful breeding ground for interest. But it goes back to what I was saying with how everything just feels like it's doing the same thing again and again. And all of these new concepts were just very familiar in terms of functional programming and then applying it to sort of big data processing and then applying it to all of these, you know, fundamental data science machine learning concepts. It was just like, oh, okay, this makes sense, but now we can use it to do this. And it started to become sort of, you know, like things were clicking in my head where it's like, wow, that totally starts To make sense. And one of the interesting things that we applied it to was with the um, scientific research slant of um, the Copyright Clearance Centre was to apply sort of what we'd learnt to figure out a patent monitoring system, so that being able to see, you know, with similarities and patents and sort of, you know, seven degrees of separation, how you could actually see if you were going to submit a patent, if somebody else had already had that idea, or if it would be encroaching on somebody else's patent. And, you yeah. know, just using like Sparkle and doing all of that, like, cool stuff, which was like, wow, this is applying something really new, but to huge, huge, huge amounts of data. It was like, wow, this is really cool. And then it just sort of started from there where it was applying the same concepts, but to uh, many different use cases. And I suppose it was the start of the interest in sort of like NLP and sort of like unstructured data as well, rather than just sort of like crunching numbers. It was, yeah. it, it was a great introduction. You
0: yeah, know, that makes sense. And then there's a little bit of a time gap, I think, from you guys leaving um, Excess. So I think, Mirko, you left first, right, to go be kind of head of data science um, at Clifford Chance. Uh, That's right, yeah?
1: Yeah, that's correct. At the time, uh, we had uh, Excess was both about a copywriter center, and then things started naturally to change. Uh, There was a shift, uh, um, a cultural shift inside the company, essentially, and I had the opportunity to work for Clifford Chance. So they asked me, to do, to create uh, the data science lab uh, based uh, on the same principle uh, that I uh, uh, was uh, we were applying uh, in Ixos. So, it's okay, make perfectly sense. I did before. This is a huge organization, is a massive law firm. <laughs> we'll be fine. Yeah. Essentially, Let's, why not? <laughs> it was it was something yeah. more like uh, you know one a kind opportunity in your lifetime? Say just go for that.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. And it sounds, um, uh, I definitely had heard of Clifford Chance before and and I couldn't really remember why other than you and Michael had said before kind of a big law firm. But I think when I did kind of some research into it, like it is because they're like one of like the big law firms. It's not like they're just, there's a few hundred people in a few different offices, like they are massive. Um, So from a kind of opportunity point of view for data science, that must have been quite exciting.
1: Yes, uh, it was uh, (laughs) definitely. (laughs) It was a great opportunity to actually develop uh, a data science lab uh, as a startup uh, inside uh, a massive uh, organization, like it's uh, Clifford Chance. It uh, it worked um, definitely really well. Uh, we managed uh, with Michael to start from uh, zero when it joined. They didn't have a cloud or anything. You know, they they have nothing. <laughs> From there, uh, moving to the cloud in order to have uh, the compute power that you, knew you need in order to do any kind of research, uh, we ended up uh, to publish a scientific paper last year in December. Then uh, we, went to, we touched also academic research, uh, collaboration with university, uh, had um, to supervise uh, <clears throat> many internships uh, from uh, UCL uh, and Imperial, during uh, my years in Clifford Chance. Uh, you know, there was a lot of collaboration with different entities. Uh, we had the opportunity to work uh, with multiple startups uh, in the reg tech, uh, legal tech, uh, because, you know, they're active also in that sector as data science uh, lab, and or better, innovation lab, you're touching also all these kind of uh, areas that was really cool.
0: Yeah, no, I bet. And then, um, Michael, kind of a few months after Mirko joined, you went to Clifford Chance as a senior senior machine learning engineer. Um, did that just kind of feel like something that was obvious to do when the opportunity arose to, to go and work
2: with Mirko again? A hundred percent. As Mirko was saying, the sort of culture changed um, at the previous company, which was unfortunate because it's something that we both hold to a very, very high standard in terms of the kind of place to work at. Um, and when, you know, new management comes in, they always say things aren't going to change. Uh, and then the inevitable year later, um, in comes <laughs> the change. And so, you know, it, it just wasn't the same. Um, the, the place wasn't the same. And so, you know, it was time to move on. And when Mirko reached out to me saying, hi, do you want a job? Um, it was a very natural thing to go and work in a field that we'd been sort of developing our skills in. But now this was sort of a real opportunity to do it for real it wasn't just sort of like doing it either you know at home or doing it for a project that was um uh, something to investigate this was you know for real and as you say for one of the biggest law firms in the world um it was an incredible opportunity which I couldn't say no to
0: yeah no I bet and uh I suppose kind of like what Mirko said having the chance to do something from scratch is, is quite rare. I mean, even to the point of they didn't even have the kind of infrastructure in place, never mind the, the team in place. So I'm sure from a, a kind of learning point of view, you probably learned more there in the kind of year or so that you were there than you probably would have most other places. I think that's fair.
2: We, we had to do everything. <laughs> literally everything. And, you know, there are positives and negatives that come from that. But sort of just the breadth of technical knowledge that we picked up in terms of always had touched different technologies, but, you know, actually having to use them for real and be responsible for them. And, you know, have um, loved and used containerization for years, but then to, you know, be responsible for designing and creating and tuning Kubernetes clusters, you know, to run in production. That's a massive difference from, you know, playing around with Docker images on your Mac, for example. (laughs) Um, And, you know, sort of to really start to use sort of DevOps and MLOps and really, really get into the nitty gritty of Spark and Hadoop and make sure that, you know, you really understand these things, you know, tuning elastic search indexes, like there's, there was Mirko and I. So, you know, if we didn't know it, we had to learn it. And, you know, there's nothing more educational than actually having to do it. And it was fantastic to really have to do that and apply it um, in an environment where we had such access to resources and opportunity.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. I suppose one of the other things to, uh, not the flip side of it, but just from a kind of consideration point of view, you mentioned the kind of cultural shift when that company was taken over before. Um, Mirko, you mentioned it kind of almost running like a startup within Clifford Chance. Did that make it, do you think, slightly different to working that, or the experience a lot of people would get working for a global Massive, massive law firm. Like, did you kind of feel that for you guys, it was a bit different because you had like your own kind of research lab? If you like,
1: it was uh, definitely different compared to anyone, everyone else <laughs> working um, in that company. What I noticed, it's uh, speaking with uh, other PR, in different industry, usually really successful data science lab uh, are set up uh, in that way. One of the first ones to be stuck in that way is uh, the one from uh, Volkswagen, you know, the car manufacturer. Twelve yeah. years ago or more, they did exactly the same because you need to have uh, that type of freedom, uh, uh, removing as much as, po- as possible all the politics uh, and all that kind of clunkiness that is coming from a huge organization because you want that yeah. people, uh, it's able, uh, first of all, to take ownership uh, from ideas uh, to production. Because only in that way, you're able to give real value quickly and uh, be able to create a new product. And uh, second, uh, you you want that type of environment where people can always um, be innovative, uh, have new ideas, uh, be sparkling, uh, instead uh, of thinking, okay, my work uh, is from 9 to 5, uh, clunk, <laughs> fine, move again. <laughs> Next day, yeah. it's just a completely different uh, mindset. Uh, it's a lot more demanding because uh, fine, we end up, uh, in person, end up uh, in many difficult situations uh, where uh, you're wearing so many hats uh, that uh, it's just insane. <laughs> I think that when we left, we tried to count uh, all the different roles that Michael and I were covering, uh, just comparing what you have in the market uh, or using the reference such as Gartner, uh, as a type of role, and so on. We discovered that we cover like 18 roles. that'll
0: that'll set you up set you up well for what you're doing now though to to wear those different hats i mean michael what about you then Did, did it feel like you were working for a multinational law firm or did it feel like you were working for a kind of small innovative data startup
2: um it was an incredibly surreal situation to be honest because sort of you know going to Canary Wharf every day wearing a suit and tie and sort of going up to, you know, the 31st floor or whatever of this massive building. And, you know, these are very, very um, highly internationally regarded lawyers, you know, they're the best at what they do. And to be sitting in the same room as sort of the senior partners and the partners of this massive law firm and just discussing how they feel we can help them, you know, using machine learning and data science to improve their work. Like when you consider who these people are, it's it's phenomenal because they really, really understood the benefit of what we were doing. Whereas, you know, we're just sort of two computer guys, you know, typing away, doing some stuff and <laughs> just the sort of dichotomy of the different worlds. It was fascinating. Um, and then obviously the resources being provided of being able to use as much as your computers as we wanted, you know, for the um, scientific paper that we published. You know, the models were running for God weeks. And, you know, these aren't cheap clusters to run. And, you know, it's just no, nobody battered an eyelid because it was, you know, in the response to the greater good. And it was worthwhile for the company to do that and to help with this research. Um, but, you know, if we were to try and do that at a university or to do it ourselves, like we'd be broke because it's like, <laughs> it's just, it's just not possible. And yeah, it was a very, very strange combination of things in terms of, well, you know, we had the resourcing that we want, but then we also had most of the freedom to do what we wanted, how we wanted it. But then there were also massive internal politics, which stopped us from doing it in reality. And so it was just this never ending pull and push of amazingness and frustration where you get that in any huge organization. And it was, yeah, yeah, a strange combination of things is what I'm going to stop at.
0: No, it sounds good. And I think it was interesting you said that, kind of getting to the point of putting things into reality, because that was one of the questions I was going to ask was, did it, do you think it makes it harder? We don't even have to talk as specifically about um, the law firm, but um, or that law firm, it can be law firms in general or large organizations in general. Is data science quite hard to, for lack of a better phrase, kind of get over the line almost when you get to the projects? I mean, I know I spoke to a guy in London recently who's working out if there's a need for some sort of kind of tooling almost that helps from a compliance and almost like a data regulation point of view, just because it can be so hard when you're in these companies to, you can access all this amazing data, but then you're not allowed to do anything with it. Um, is that a challenge that you guys came across?
1: Yes. Sure time more like <laughs> times. <a> <laughs> now it's, normal being in that situation because of the higher regulated environment. Uh, then, um, for example, in other industry, you have regulation that doesn't allow you to touch a specific type of data. In the legal industry, you end up in a situation where uh, you cannot touch that specific data, not type of data, because it uh, depends on what you sign it with your customer, because often the data, like the contract, is not your own property then depends on the agreement that you have between uh, the law firm and their clients. This is one of the discriminative, if you can touch on not touch uh, that specific. It's, it's definitely usually a challenger. It's kind of fun to sort it out, because there are a lot of misconceptions for all the possible parties involved, all the different stakeholders. But uh, the reality is you have uh, all the tools to, doing that, to solve that problem uh, straightforward just a matter of applying the right tool, uh, filtering the data or obfuscating the data when it's necessary, and after you have access to whatever things needs. I think one of the um, usual battles was always around um, the understanding about what was really possible by legislation, what not, because usually people uh, tend to be more defensive. It's more easy to say, no, you cannot access anything. When you ask why... <laughs> Uh, because GDPR, GDPR doesn't say that I cannot access. It says that uh, I can access if I define what I'm going to do with the data.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, and if I give a, a tool that allows the user to remove his personal data, and say, uh, and then uh, you have uh, to deal with a lot of politics. In short.
0: Yeah, no, I I bet. Um, I, Michael, was that a good learning curve for you? Kind of, we'll, we'll move on very shortly to what you guys are doing now, but was that a kind of good learning curve for you as well as to kind of address some of the stumbling blocks um, once you've maybe built something cool or had an idea for something that would work and then just almost getting that rejection?
2: So one of the things that we really had to learn and we refined over the um, years at Clifford Chance was sort of how to make AI and data science initiatives sort of successful. And by that, we mean either profitable or, you know, cost saving. And we've actually spoken quite a bit about it at different um, conferences. And we spoke at sort of the Spark AI conference in Amsterdam relating to that. And it's a very, very interesting topic because it's not really related to technical solutions at all. It's all about the soft skills and working with people and helping to understand why they firstly want to do something so what value does it bring and then the reasons why they might be a bit averse to doing this thing and then you need to have obviously correct answers for okay well no this is actually why you can do this or no the data isn't at risk or if that is a problem it's all about sort of managing expectations and figuring out how you can actually make sure people are comfortable because when you say ai people get scared especially lawyers um because there's obviously the well is the computer going to take my job which is the first question and then the second one is well you know how do you then start to manage it how do you integrate it into things how does this fit into my world and people are not rightfully but understandably concerned about things and then when you add the whole angled cloud to you know organizations that live sort of on-premises forever it adds a number of challenges where you begin to get very good at understanding other people's points of view and figuring out how to approach that and a lot of that isn't even technical um But then the technical solutions to making sure that it's right are also very interesting because you need to make sure everything is auditable and loggable and explainable. And it needs to be right from the start because, you know, if um, you leak somebody's data from a law firm, you're a bit screwed and you don't don't want that. And, you know, (laughs) it happen all the time. So you need to be able to show what you've done, when, why, how. And it sort of really beefs up all of the best practices around how you work. No, that sounds
0: like uh, with so many things we touch on. So, um, I don't know if you guys agree. Haven't worked in this in, in that world a lot closer than I do. But the the thought of kind of AI taking over, like doctors, uh, lawyers, like anything that takes years and years of training and experience and practice, I, I almost kind of it's not even like that funny anymore when the, it keeps coming up that it's a possibility. And I think one of the guys we had on recently just said that like the biggest way he tries to explain it is like. AI is just a tool that a surgeon or a lawyer can use. It's not going to replace them. Um, so, although I'm sure that was something you had to come up against, I think learning to to uh, as I don't get kind to of deal with that objection
2: is probably quite a good lesson for, for both of you guys. The greatest way that we phrase it is augmentation. Um, uh, it's it it really calms people down a lot. Um, because you know you, you you say that everything that we're doing or we do we're, we're augmenting the human process we're not trying to replace it because if you do you'll fail yeah. it, it's all about allowing very very highly skilled people to actually focus on their highly skilled work and then everything around that is augmenting what they do or at least that's what we say you know? <laughs> yeah yeah
0: that's it does, it's a good way of putting it. And also just to ease fears. Um, now, Mirka, you might have seen this from, from other places you've worked as well, but one of the people that I um, I know quite well in Manchester, I've told this story before, but um, he learned quite quickly as a kind of senior or a lead data scientist, um, the best way to, in fact, Michael, you touched on it as well, is the best way of kind of... Um, I don't know, almost getting some slack or getting kind of recognition quickly is you pick something relatively basic and help out the people that are counting the money um, or the person with the biggest problem. So, like, he, this guy that I know, he, he did something pretty basic to automate something that the financial director was doing manually and it saved them loads of time, um, potentially quite a bit of money i mean and from there he pretty much got free reign as a data scientist to do whatever the hell he wanted um as long as kind of somewhere down the line there were some sort of results but he learned quite quickly that if you pick something quite basic um uh, make it work then you'll get that kind of uh freedom and i'm sure that you've seen that before
1: this is essentially how we managed to build uh, the data science lab <laughs> and this is what we're doing with our own <laughs> company is <laughs> a, a secret sauce that is not so secret uh so it looks like. <laughs> no, uh, definitely. Uh, the reality is um, there is a lot of misconception around AI. Uh, I like um, a nice vignette um, that is outside nowadays. Uh, that it's uh, everything. Uh, it's um, in power. Every AI is written in PowerPoint. Uh, machine learning is in Python. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> 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 picture how much uh, people is scared about uh, the world. The reality is uh, they need a lot of help. We have this new set of tools that finally they're mature enough to get used uh, in production, to get used in the industry. It's not because they weren't there. I mean, uh, neural network were there since the 80s or before, and it's nothing really, really new. The point is now we can do we can use it. Is a huge game changer. For the industries uh, and that because we can use it uh, doesn't mean that we can uh, use a bazooka for a kill an ant. doesn't make any sense <laughs> 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 you always need to start uh, from uh, a small piece uh, i think the real trick is uh, to uh, define what is the vision point in there in that direction uh, and try to get uh, all uh, uh, the steps uh, on the way in order to always deliver uh, We call it value, but essentially something that is achievable uh, and uh, we can verify what is the value that you're putting on the table. This is how we get, uh, for example, free cards uh, in Clifford Chance and before. This is how you get uh, your uh, first contract signed uh, as a company. (laughs) So, okay, you don't need to invest a huge amount of money. You need uh, uh, to know what you're trying to achieve, pick up... uh, uh, the specific, uh, let's say, call it project uh, or idea that you know that is going to maximize maximize your va- video because maybe hoping for your new market or, uh, you know, there's a huge cost saving or whatever. And then gradually moving forward, uh, say, okay, we want to get there. Cool. We, we will not get there in one month's time. Forget <laughs> it. And we will not do it blindly. This is another thing that will never work. Let's see, in order to get there, what you need, data. We don't have the data. Okay, let's see how we can collect that data in order that in six months' time, you can get enough in order to move to the next phase, and so on. It's exactly yeah. the same principle.
0: No, that makes a lot of sense. And um, uh, it probably is a good time to talk about what you guys are doing now so obviously you've both left cover uh, chance um, and rather than going to join kind of another research lab or doing something uh, doing something else you guys are set up on your own um, which I think you I mean I presume you've been talking about it for a while but uh, kind of the wheels in motion from from February 2020 Michael is that right
2: yeah that's right Valentine's day actually um, I believe was Oh, how romantic uh, Yeah, I know. Um, It says a lot about us. But yeah, um, obviously the best time um, in recent history to start a new business. Um, But uh, (laughs) from everything that we've been previously saying um, about sort of identifying value and sort of following best practices, that was what we are doing with Fume. Um, That's what we want to do. We want to help, you know, clients and our partners to actually realize these AI and data products to generate and deliver real value. Because this isn't sort of just sort of a pipe dream. We've done it. We've done it in big organizations. We have a proven process that works. It's it's not magic. It's just sort of doing these things and doing it well. Um, and we legitimately believe that we can create and deliver real value with sort of ai if we want to call it that and it is it's a it's a real thing um and we're excited about it um except for you know the current collapse of society which has made things a little bit difficult in terms of realizing that dream <laughs> yeah no
0: so i was gonna we're gonna come to that so uh, obviously set up in february uh pretending that all of this Kind of shit didn't happen um you mentioned some of it there but what was the kind of i don't know what was the plan this year just to kind of set up like you have done um get some kind of uh, kind of projects on almost like to, to use as case studies and then just kind of snowball from there was that the kind of general plan at the start
2: Yeah, um, that's exactly right. And sort of to use um, all of our sort of what, 20 plus years, 30 plus years of industry expertise to create and sort of build something real and just do as we have done, but for ourselves and working with our own clients. Um, And that's still what we want to do. It's still what we are aiming to achieve. And it will be a lot easier once we're able to sort of go and meet people in person. Um, but what we had initially planned to do was to spend, you know, a couple of months doing some development by ourselves and then going out. Um, but because of all the very positive publicity that we had from Clifford Chance and sort of the name that sort of Merkel and myself had built for ourselves, doing very, very good work in the legal industry, you know, within the first week we were full of meetings and we were doing sort of business development. And people are, and still are very interested in what we're doing. It's just priorities have changed a little bit at the moment um, for sort of new initiatives. Um, And so we are still very much in discussion to develop those solutions and build our portfolio of use cases. But it's had to um, be a little bit reconsidered considering um, the current situation.
0: Yeah. And uh, given that you do have that legal experience, it would make sense to tap into that, like you said. Um, Would the legal industry take longer to kind of use a service like you guys um, from a kind of initial meeting to, to signing the document, would they take a while anyway just given the industry that they're in or, or do you think once we're kind of back to some sort of normality that the, 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 I don't know, that the projects will, will kind of follow
2: on from each other quite quickly? It, it completely depends. Um, Everything we do is industry agnostic um, and so we're not purely targeting the in, uh, the legal industry um but yes you're right the legal industry is not um necessarily known to be fast moving um but that's okay we have years of experience working um within that industry so we know what to expect and we know how to work with those kind of individuals um and it's a very exciting space uh for um ml and ai type development
0: no i bet and i suppose one more question for you just now, michael um i had a chat with a guy yesterday actually who's going to be on the podcast soon um, but he mentioned one of the big things they've noticed in setting up on their own and one of the things they they thought was potentially an issue within the kind of world of AI and machine learning is that they almost a lot of people in the industry almost seem to be quite far behind where software engineering is um, so they come from software engineering backgrounds so they're kind of almost the basics of setting this setting projects up and kind of having their best practice there and uh, and kind of the tools, having those, those correct. Um, is that something you think maybe you guys have an advantage, just given that you do have that really solid computer science, software engineering background between you both, that you maybe avoid some of those pitfalls? Was it me that you were
2: speaking to yesterday? Because that sounds exactly like what i (laughs) Um, said. No, I I couldn't agree more. um, And I could go on for hours about it, but I won't. And I'll just say that I strongly, strongly agree. Um, And it's a fundamental part of productionizing and operationalizing anything, and especially something as... Difficult and challenging as machine learning, you have to have the foundations and the best practices right, and that includes, you know, coding standards, includes code reviews, you know, actually having version control. I mean, you know, it. it I'll, 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 I'll um, stop uh, rabbiting on, but you know, it, it's so fundamental to the success of anything that. That's, I think, one of the reasons that Merko and I work so well together is that all of those things that we do, they are inherent. It's not a reminder. You know, we send each other code reviews for pull requests that we're doing for our own development. Um, you know, it, it, it's how we work, and yeah. you'll, never, you'll never really succeed long term if you don't do those things. It's fundamental.
0: No, that's interesting. I should really introduce you guys to um, to, to <laughs> Matt and see what you, if you get on. It sounds like you yeah, would. And then Mirko, I mean, I suppose having run, you've run your own business before, actually, but having run kind of uh, labs from scratch and hired people from scratch, did the opportunity to kind of run your own thing with Michael, I suppose just did it make sense. And did you learn anything kind of that you maybe didn't expect to in the last couple of months, discounting the global pandemic?
1: Something really new, not really, because before starting, I mean, Like many, I had, like, my first company, I was 20. Might be too young at the time. (laughs) And, of course, uh, I didn't end up well at all. (laughs) I ended up really badly in, like, two, three years' time, uh, something like that. Uh, I was still at uni at that time. Uh, That's fine. Uh, Then uh, I ended up working for a startup. I was the employee number two, and I became director there, and I was managing, uh, essentially, the equivalent of, HR plus uh, the, bi- the biggest project that they now is that the one that was making extension the light on uh, inside the company itself. Uh, and so many things happening. Uh, one thing is that I always told to Michael before starting is, that, look, one thing that must be, we need to be agile, be able to adapt uh, to whatever things happen. <laughs> we couldn't imagine <laughs> something on this scale. <laughs> <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> when this happened, I still remember that they, we, we put in um, some um, deadline in the calendar. By this date, we have to sit down and decide what to do with the company. Shall we go in the direction A e or B, etc. Global uh, pandemic started. Say okay, forget all that kind of deadline. They don't make any sense anymore. We have to to <laughs> you know to change to pivot everything and adapt uh, as quick as we can. And the reality is, obviously, it, uh, for us, it's an opportunity. Because it's true that for one side, uh, we saw a decrease in the business development. Uh, people uh, just get uh, different uh, priorities. Uh, we still get some good contacts, you know, how it's going and so on. But everything gets slowed down. But on the other side, uh, it gives us um, some kind of free time. That we start to invest uh, to create in uh, our own solution. We start to partner um, uh, with other companies like EV Labs uh, and so on in order uh, to have uh, uh, the subject matter expertise in the RegTech space because this will be on the RegTech, specif- specifically for uh, energy and uh, pharma at the moment. And uh, we are close to have uh, the first, uh, let's say, demo up and running in the next week. I mean, it's not bad. <laughs> uh, one thing that I learned uh, on the previous year is you must be able to adapt on whatever things happen. You know how you start, but you know how you're always going to end. It's like um, before opening the company, you will have always a lot of people say, Oh, that will be cool. It will be your first customer. Nice. What's happening the day after? you will never be that guy, your first customer <laughs> with someone that you never met before that you don't know who is. he is. It's <laughs> just how it is. Do not, uh, you know, be strong in your position uh, and then, uh, you know, pretend that, uh, the world will adapt uh, on your ideas, but having that kind of humility to say, okay, maybe my idea wasn't, uh, so good. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. Uh, you know, go back, redesign everything, uh, start from scratch, uh, and pivot until uh, you are small, at least uh, you have this huge opportunity because whatever decision you make, you don't burn a lot of money, you don't have a lot of maintenance costs uh, in order to keep the lights on inside the company. Then uh, you know use that opportunity. This is something that I learned in the past.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a great learn, especially now. I mean, there's so many big companies that will either just be pausing where they are just now or cutting back on kind of these uh, kind of data-led Projects um, and maybe some of these data consultancies won't survive this, given the overheads and, and how much they've potentially spent on not their core offering. Which is where kind of I think companies like what you guys are doing could could do quite well out of all of this in the end of it. Because you're right, there's only two of you just now. There's no huge overheads, and you've got such a wealth of experience in, in those areas that that it almost does feel like there's an opportunity for the smaller companies to maybe outmaneuver and kind of outpace some of these so-called larger companies, this tends to win a lot of the business, which I'm sure you've seen in the past as well. I don't know about you guys. There's been a lot of chat about what the world will look like kind of post-COVID-19 from a work point of view. Um, Given that you're both in London, do you think there will be a a kind of a mass exodus of people living in London and, and everyone will just work remotely forevermore? Honestly,
1: I don't. The change already happened. Because uh, what's ha- what happened, especially every government forces you. Doesn't matter where you're living nowadays <laughs> in the world, but every government forces you to uh, stay at home, Then, did uh, you like or not? You you must face like your family. You start to kind of rediscover what were the old values that we might forget, especially in a city like London when everything is so chaotic. Yeah. Then. But well, I believe that the change already happened. That we, if we want to admit and not, this is another story. But the change is there. What is going to happen after? Like everything uh, is in the human space, uh, there will be people that uh, they will love to go back to the office uh, for whatever reason. Other people that are still trying to do not adapt uh, to the new way of uh, living, and uh, definitely will be a huge amount of will say, "Okay, until yesterday, I was working from home." had all that freedom why you want to take that that way for our point of view for Michael and I we're a little bit upset because it was one of the things we were proud of finally we can go back to our route and work from home (laughs) if we hire people they will work from home (laughs) if we need a room we can just hire a room for a little bit and that's it Uh, you know you can work at whatever time you want etc etc it was looking so cool now it's the norm.
0: <laughs> yeah, you've lost, you've lost your USP when you start hiring.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh,
0: no, I think there's still, but a lot of people will go back to, to what we had uh, before, uh, some bigger companies, I would have thought. I um, uh, suppose, Michael, from, from your guys' point of view, is uh, growing this to be, I don't know, either small, medium, large, whatever? Is there plans to, to have more than the two of you guys, or, or does the fact that you both work so well together just seem to make sense to keep it the two? you potentially maybe with affiliates rather than employees. So
2: where Marco and I met at Exus that is a very similar model that we want to emulate. Um how big we get that's irrelevant um but as long as there's that similar working culture that's what the environment that we want to create because you know it was a situation where you actually enjoyed working with people you were excited to develop good solutions it was you were learning from people every day and that's why people like us do stuff is because We're interested in it and we like it. And as long as that's always the motivation and that's always the test of if you should move on from a job as if you're not learning anything, then maybe it's time to consider um, a little bit of a change. And that's how we have always wanted to approach things. And, you know, we've already started to semi grow in in an unofficial way because we're lucky enough to be working um, with some talented individuals who recognize what we're doing, recognize the situation, and they're helping us with developing um, this reg tech solution and you know and so we're up to nearly to a team of six now um sort of not on the books or anything but you know working away and doing our thing with exactly the same motivations and exactly the same ways of working um that we want to and so as long as that stays the same um it doesn't really matter where we're working or how big we are um because the reason for doing the work is because we like it
0: and you mentioned the culture where you were before. Was there anything that they managed to do that you've kind of taken away into to this company, or was it more just that kind of collaborative mindset? Everyone was learning off each other. The kind of was was it more just a natural because of who they hired, or, or was there things
2: in place that really nurtured that? The senior management was excellent. Um, they they really really knew how to just let the good people get on with it. Um, without sort of too much sort of micromanagement. It was very well-placed. But then also, you know, like attracts like, and there was a very definite culture there. And it was wonderful to work with such like-minded, talented people. And it was just interesting and fun, um, and, that, and that's the main thing. It didn't really matter what you were doing because you knew that you were going to learn from it and do it in the best possible way. And that's what Mirko and I want to create with fume is to just do good work with good people and to do it well. And that's what motivates us. Nice.
0: No, I like that. Uh, probably a good place to to pretty much wrap up. I, I mean, in terms of um, where people can find you, as um, was individually on social media, but also kind of the company and uh, and the website and everything. Where can everyone where can everyone find you guys?
1: Okay, we are on LinkedIn, of course. And uh, we have a website, uh, <laughs> fiume.uk <laughs> <laughs> or fiume.ei. Uh, it's the same. You end up on the same page uh, at the end of the day.
2: Um, and uh, just, just to spell it out, because it, it is an Italian word, which means river. Um, obviously, I'm not Italian, but Merco is. Um, it, it's um, F-I-U-M-E, uh, fume, uh, dot uk.
0: Nice. Um, and do you guys use um, Twitter at all?
1: Not really. I never get it through Twitter, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's
0: fine.
1: <laughs> we use uh, no, more uh, LinkedIn usually than
0: Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn, nice. I okay. mean, um, yeah, I noticed you guys have got like a blog page on the website and some videos that you guys have done already uh, and some of the kind of collaboration projects that you t- talked about earlier. So no, that's great. Um, and when we post it, I'll make sure to uh, to tag all, kind of you and two the, and the company in too. All right, fantastic. Well, well, thanks both for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, and I hope that um, we can catch up later in the year or, or, or maybe even early next year and just see where see where you're at, really. It will be a pleasure. Thank you so much, Liam. Thanks a lot. Thank you. So, yeah, I thought that worked really well. Two, two guests. Um, we've got another one lined up in a couple of weeks, so we'll see how it continues to go. Um, but, but thank you to both uh, Michael and Michael for coming on. Really enjoyed chatting to them. Um, uh, kind of, you almost look at their careers in parallel and see uh, how they you know, ended up meeting, uh, working so well together, they've a company, um, obviously the top of a shitty timing uh, for setting something up, uh, but like they said, they, they've learned to, to have to be agile, and uh, if you can make something work during a global pandemic, you uh, pressure, you can survive it. So, uh, two great guys and uh, very much key to, to keep uh, their progress so yeah thank you for joining I uh, appreciate you all very much thanks to Cath for continuing to sponsor and also just letting me do this uh, so, so huge thanks to them uh, and I'll see you all soon